Luke 1, 39 to 80. At that time, Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea, where she entered Zachariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leapt in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In a loud voice, she exclaimed, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. But why am I so favoured that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfil the promises to her. And Mary said, My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Saviour. For he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed. For the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their innermost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. Mary stayed with Elizabeth for about three months and then returned home. Now when it was time for Elizabeth to have her baby, she gave birth to a son. Her neighbours and relatives heard that the Lord had shown her great mercy and they shared her joy. On the eighth day, they came to circumcise the child and they were going to name him after his father, Zechariah. But his mother spoke up and said, No, he is to be called John. They said to her, There is no one among your relatives who has that name. Then they made signs to his father to find out what he would like to name the child. He asked for a writing tablet, and to everyone's astonishment, he wrote, His name is John. Immediately, his mouth was opened, and his tongue set free, and he began to speak, praising God. All the neighbours were filled with awe, and throughout the hill country of Judea, people were talking about all these things. Everyone who heard this wondered about it, asking, What then is this child going to be? For the Lord's hand was with him. His father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come to his people and redeemed them. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he said through his holy prophets of long ago. Salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show mercy to our ancestors and to remember his holy covenant, the oath he swore to our father Abraham, to rescue us from the hand of our enemies and to enable us to serve him without fear, in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And you, my child, will be called a prophet of the Most High, for you will go on before the Lord to prepare the way for him, to give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins, because of the tender mercy of our God by which the rising sun will come to us from heaven to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the path of peace. 
And the child grew and became strong in spirit, and he lived in the wilderness until he appeared publicly to Israel. Uh, well, good evening, everyone. It's uh, good to see you. Good to be here. My name's Roger. I'm one of the ministers of St. Matthew's, usually at the other congregations on Sunday, um, but great to be here with you this evening uh, to uh, think, think through this passage together. Um, let's, uh, we've already prayed, prayed for uh, the preaching of the word and the hearing of the word, but let's do it again as I lead us in prayer. Let's pray. Our Father God, as we hear your word tonight, I do pray that you might um, please plant your word in our hearts. Pray that it might dwell in our hearts by faith. Pray, Lord, that you might produce fruit in our lives of changed lives um, in keeping with repentance. And, Lord, that our lives might glorify you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. The birth of a child. Uh, It's a moment of great pride uh, for the parents and for the grandparents. Uh, Just in case you don't know, well, you're about to know now, I've been a grandfather now for just shy of six months. uh, And it's definitely one of those times, a time of great, great pride. Uh, There's great joy at the birth of a child. There's great joy at watching every step of the development of of this child. And, of course, you can't help but share that joy uh, with others, sharing many photos and many um, videos. Uh, You may have been the victim of uh, one of my many proud moments of uh, showing you in person yet another image of this fine young man. But but Mary and Zechariah, uh, whom we hear about today, They'd received a message from an angel about the child born into their families, and I cannot compete with that, let me say. And for them, that could have been a moment of even greater pride. But what we're going to see today is that there's, there's something else much bigger going on in their situations that they were aware of and they tell us about. They praise God for the birth of a child because they knew that it was a big, big occasion not just for them, but a big occasion in history. And today, as we look at the way that they respond to that, as they express their praise to God as Saviour, I trust that we'll be encouraged uh, to join them um, in their joy and in their praise of God. Uh, In the last week in the sermon uh, here and other other, other, uh, congregations at St Matthew's, um, the heavenly messengers words to Zechariah and to Mary about the birth of their children is what we heard about. And they were told that God was about to do something uh, wonderful and surprising um, to save his people. Um, Zechariah heard that his wife, who had been unable to conceive all her life and who was now well along in years, would actually give birth to a son and they were to name him John. And John would bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God and he would prepare them for the way uh, of the coming, prepare them for the coming of the Lord. And for Mary, Mary hears an even more surprising message that she will conceive as an unmarried woman. Uh, It's a little hard for us in our culture to imagine the shame attached to that for Mary uh, because it's such a common thing in our culture that she will become pregnant uh, outside of marriage But on top of that, she's told that the overwhelmingly amazing news that by God's power, she'll give birth to a holy child who will be called the Son of God. 
and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever and his kingdom will never end. And as the story unfolds in this second half of the chapter that we look at tonight, the events that occur around Mary and Zechariah continue to point to uh, God doing a great work in these events, something wonderful through the birth of these children. So in verses 39 to 45... um, Mary, having heard that amazing message from the angel, she hurries off immediately after the news of her conception. Before she could have any confirmation in her own body that she was pregnant or not, she hurried off to visit her relative Elizabeth. And the angel had told Mary that Elizabeth, who was said to be unable to conceive, is now in her sixth month of pregnancy. So she goes off to see Elizabeth. And as Mary hurries off, You know, we might well wonder how she processed the news, that big news, from the angel. Mary had been chosen for a gigantic, unprecedented, unrepeatable task to give birth to the Son of God. What would this very ordinary Jewish girl do with this news? Uh, How would she believe it? How would she continue to believe it? Without losing her nerve, without perhaps crumbling under the weight of such a responsibility? or without losing faith, or without having a, a proper recognition, um, a, sorry, a proper humility before God about such an experience as this. And maybe for a little while at least, after the angel had gave her the message left, her first temptation may well have been to think uh, she, was just, she just imagined the whole thing, that it didn't really happen at all. There was no angel who appeared and told her that. But God has ordered everything here uh, to strengthen Mary's faith. And so wonderfully, when she arrived at Elizabeth's home, she found that her relative was also miraculously pregnant, just as the angel had told her. And she found that Elizabeth, inspired by God, already knew of her pregnancy without hearing about it from Mary. And she says, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child that you will bear And she addresses Mary as the mother of my Lord. And the whole account here is filled with the inspiration and the direction of the Spirit of God in what is said and what what happens. Elizabeth even reports that her unborn child leaped in the womb at the sound of Mary greeting Elizabeth. And so Mary's faith is strengthened. And then she breaks out in praise and prophecy about God's salvation That's the climax of the Mary uh, event here, and we'll come to that soon. But we also see that the events surrounding Zechariah point to this being a time when God was at work to do something wonderful through the birth of these children. So in verse 57, um, Zechariah and Elizabeth's child is born, and they have a son, and the neighbours and the relatives hear that the Lord had shown Elizabeth mercy and there in that little village they, they all gather together and they share her joy. We saw um, last week that um, Zechariah was, uh, was struck dumb for not believing the word of God through the angel that, this, that his wife would conceive. And, and then when his service at the temple had been completed and he was back at home, not long after his wife had conceived, um, surely at that point uh, he believed Um, God's word to him, Um, but he remained dumb. And then the child is born, 
Um, surely any possible lingering doubt must have gone by then, but he still remained dumb. And all that remains in the story now is for Zechariah to name his child John as he had been commanded, and then we expect him to speak again. Now, Luke could have simply told us that Zechariah did that, that he did as he was told, that he named his child John, and we would have seen his faith and obedience, and the story would have reached the the climax. But it doesn't work like that. Instead, we get more than that. Right through verses 57 to 66, if you've got it there in front of you, we get this focus on the neighbours and the relatives. How will the neighbours and the relatives uh, respond Once they hear John say that he will break from the normal tradition of naming the son after his father and and calling calling the child Zechariah, but he's not going to do that, he's going to name him John, as the angel had told him. We then hear in verse 65, they were filled with awe and throughout the hill country of Judea, people were talking about these things. As they talk about these things, as Luke puts it, um, we need to remember that they would have heard from Zechariah not only that the angel had, had told him to call his child uh, John, but that this baby was destined to be the forerunner of the Messiah. This story wasn't just the story of the birth of an ordinary child. It was a story in, of a very different order with earth-shaking uh, implications. And so in verse 66 we read, everyone who heard this wondered about it Asking, what then is this child going to be? See, if it was true, then these neighbours and friends of Zechariah the priest and his wife Elizabeth, they were actually standing on the verge of the Messianic age, the coming of the Messiah, long-promised Messiah. And Zechariah's child would preach to them and to all Israel to prepare them for the coming of the Messiah. But was it true? After all, most parents think their first child is somehow special and they dream up a marvellous future for it, don't they? Perhaps elderly parents like Zechariah and Elizabeth were especially prone to doting on their child. Could it be that Zechariah was just getting carried away by pride, a bit like me showing photos of my grandchild to you? Uh, Maybe he was exaggerating or fantasising. Well, time would tell. But we know as readers of Luke's gospel how the story unfolds and Luke tells us here that the Lord's hand was on him. God was doing something surprising and wonderful through this child. And so the climax of Zechariah's story is not just that he named him John and then he got his speech back and that he obeyed God in that way. The climax is his expression of his faith in another song, just as it was the climax in Mary's little story. Because he understands this moment as a wonderful time of God's salvation. And so we come now to those words of praise of Mary um, and Zechariah. In Luke's Gospel, we have not just the narrative of what happened, but he puts these two songs in between the narratives. And I think that's a, that's a wonderful thing um, that, that Luke has done there as Um, They recognise this moment as one where God has come to save his people and they can't help but break out in exuberant praise um, to God as their saviour. So I want to show you briefly one thing about the the focus of their songs and then three things, three themes that are in both of those songs. That's That's where we're heading. So one, about their focus. It's striking that in Mary's song... 
Never once does she mention that she's going to be the mother of the Son of God. Um, Of course, that's the reality that lies behind the song. But the way she refers to this great fact shows what her focus is. She doesn't focus on herself. Sure, she's, she's unique. She's the only one who bore a child who was the son of God. But her focus is on the implications of this fact, not on herself. And similarly, we see a similar thing going on in Zechariah's song. There's 12 verses, but the first eight go by without even mentioning his own son at all. And then there's two verses about his son in verses 76 to 77, if you're scanning over it there. And then another couple of verses that again revert to something else. Zechariah is convinced that there's something happening far more important here than the birth of one prophet. He knows that his son would point to the Messiah. And so that's what he does in his song too. As he looks at his own son, he realises that someone infinitely more important than his own son is about to appear. And so that's what he focuses on in his praise. And we saw the same kind of thing, didn't we, with uh, um, his wife Elizabeth when she greeted Mary. The song was all about Mary's child-to-be, not her own child. So, um, so to, three, um, to three key themes that are shared by both of these expressions of praise that will really, I trust and pray, will help us to praise God for salvation as well. Firstly... Firstly, they express exuberant praise to God for what he's done as saviour. That's the most obvious thing to notice. Look at the start of Mary's song. My soul glorifies the Lord. In other words, magnifies the Lord. Um, um, Gives him the honour that is due for who he is. And my spirit rejoices in God my saviour. For he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed, for the Mighty One has done great things for me. Holy is his name. See, her her joy arises because in in acting towards her as God has, God is acting as her saviour. My spirit rejoices in God, my saviour. Notice that, that... Bearing a child who will be called the son of God, bearing a child who will be the saviour of the world, doesn't change her status before God um, beyond that of anybody else. She still regards herself as one who needs salvation. Someone who needs to be saved just like the rest of humanity. And she says, all generations will call me blessed, but she doesn't add, because I'm to be the mother of the son of God... No, she adds, because the mighty one has done great things for me. In other words, what God has done in providing a saviour, rather than what she, what she is, is what fills her mind and her heart. And it's from that that her mouth overflows in praise of, in praise of God. She rejoices in God, her saviour. We see the same thing in Zechariah's song. He too expresses exuberant praise to God of what God is doing as saviour. Verse 68, praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come to his people and he has redeemed them. He's raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. See, Zechariah here recognises that the one to come after his son, whom his son would point to, will bring a long-awaited salvation for God's people. 
At the end of the song, he puts it, he puts it like this, that, that, that um, illustratively, that the long night for Israel and the world is over. Uh, when he says at the end of the song that the sunrise from above is about to dawn. That long night of Israel and the world is over. God is intervening in history to save, his, to save people. And then the language throughout the poem is rich with words that come from the Old Testament about God's salvation. That when God saves people, it will mean redemption. It will mean salvation. It will mean deliverance from slavery and freedom to serve God. Uh, it, will, it will mean forgiveness of sins and therefore freedom from the fear of death. And it will mean peace, peace with God and a new capacity now to walk in that in peace. Uh, God has intervened and sent a mighty saviour from the house of David. An exuberant praise is given to God who's come to save. Um, the second thing is that both these songs praise God that the coming of the Messiah shows God's mercy um, for his people. So notice in um, uh, mercy is a theme in Zechariah's song, verse 72. He's come to show mercy to our ancestors. Um, and then verse 78, the coming of the Messiah is an expression of the tender mercy of God. And in Mary's song, from verse 50... Um, she moves from what God has done for her to how God has shown his mercy from one generation to another. And we've already noted how when she spoke of God's dealings with her, she did it with no sense of self-importance or of self-centeredness. So, so we might conclude, oh, maybe Mary was just a remarkably humble person. But it's more than that. She grasps that she and all of her people need the mercy of God. When we get to verse 50 and beyond, it's clear that she understands God's dealings with her as just one example of God's dealings with all of his all of people. So God's dealings with her were in one sense utterly unique, but in another very important sense, to Mary it was an act of God's mercy and that's the way God has dealt with his people down through the ages. Verse 50, his mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to, gener to generation. She doesn't feel that her case is a special case of needing mercy. No, her eyes are on how over and over again from one generation to another, God has shown his mercy to his, to his people. And then, and then she continues in verses 51 to 53 to speak um, poetically of God's mercy, which she has seen in her own case, which she's seen in the history of Israel, which she anticipates is going to be shown through the birth of her son. So God's choice of her is merely one example of what God always does, has done and will do. He's a God who in mercy saves people. And remember that for mercy to be mercy, it's not got to do with us attracting God's attention and favour by how good or special or religious we are. Mercy is shown to the undeserving. And so as we come to these verses here, mercy bypasses the usual distinctions that we make between people based on wealth or the family that you were born into or the level of education that you have had or how successful you have been or how influential you are on others. See it in verses 51 to 53. When God saves, he is always scattering the proud He's putting down princes. 
He's sending the rich away empty. And at the same time, he's exalting the lowly and he's feeding the hungry. She uses poetic language to describe the experience of God's people down through the centuries. People like Hannah in 1 Samuel 2 found this to be true in her situation and use very similar expressions in her song at the birth of Samuel at the, at the temple, even though her situation was a bit different to Mary's. Mary is aware that for the purposes of bringing God's son into the world, which she was doing, he chose her as a little lower-class girl from some obscure family, chose her to be the mother of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And she was aware that she was just one example of what God always does, has done and will do. Our God is holy. Mary acknowledges that in verse 49 before she mentions mercy. In his holiness, God has the right to judge us, to cut us off from him because of our sins. Um, but thankfully, um, God has mercy and he's shown that in giving us his son, Jesus. By trusting in God and his promises, he restores us, he redeems us, he cuts off sin, but he doesn't cut us off. He delights to show rich and tender mercy to us and he extends that mercy to all who will fear him and those mercies endure. He is ever faithful, he is ever sure. So the songs of Zechariah and Mary praise God also for his mercy. And then finally, the songs both praise God that he is fulfilling his promises. So in Zechariah's song, again, in, um, there in verse 70, it was long ago that the prophets first preached the promise of God. And in verse 73, God swore his covenant on oath to Abraham. Since then, um, faith... Through, through Israel's history, faith had often been tempted to say that those old prophecies were only myths. But God continued to speak um, through the prophets and now that faith is vindicated because a saviour is about to come and to save Israel from all of their enemies. In Mary's song, um, what about, where do we see it in hers? In the last couple of verses, verses 54 to 55, He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. You know, as Zechariah and Mary speak these words of praise, we need to remember it had been 2,000 years since God's promise to Abraham. We need to remember it had been 400 years since the last prophet in Israel. So we need to remember that um, those around them, any rational person in their day, would be saying, God must have forgotten us. But now, Mary and Zechariah break out in praise, for God has kept his promise. As we heard last week, for no word of God will ever fail. As we think about Mary, you know, hundreds of times since her childhood in her home, in the synagogue, At religious festivals, she would have heard of God calling out Abraham and his promise to Abraham in Genesis 12 to bless him and and to bless many through him, to make his name great, to uh, make him into a great nation. She would have heard how God had honoured that promise. And now that it had happened, 
She already had the proper context imprinted on her mind. And what was happening to her was happening to her as part of her nation, not because she individually was really special, but because of God's faithfulness to his, to his promises. What happened to her was unique, but this would help her to see herself in the right perspective, that she was part of God's dealings with her nation, its election and its history and its destiny. And this, no doubt, sustained her faith as she remembered that, that she was part of this bigger story. It would have sustained her faith just as it ought to for us. I think that's what we see in her song. And at the same time as the mother of the Son of God, I guess it kept her really from any exaggerated sense of self-importance. And by pointing out that she was part of something bigger that God is doing in the world, she can help our faith as well. Let me explain. See, see, Mary praises God not because he's the God who will bring her personal success. Christianity Christianity is not a self-help religion and it's not a private religion and it's not one of many religious options out there that you might just choose you know, in the spiritual kind of marketplace. You might choose one that sort of suits you. It's not something just between you and God aimed at your own personal satisfaction. Mary praises God because he's changed the nature of the world outside of her. That God has acted in history. And Luke carefully gives us an account of these things that have been fulfilled in history so we can be sure about that. God has radically changed every person's relationship with him through this child that's good to be born to Mary, the Son of God. And you can receive him and the welcome of the Father. Or you can ignore him and lose all hope. And, you know, I think Christmas, and today I should say Christmas in July, is about that time in God's purposes where God has acted outside of us in, in history by sending his Son. And because of what God has done... Everyone faces a moment of crisis in relationship with God. And maybe Christmas in July helps us get past the sentimentality of Jesus the baby in the manger. For God has sent us the King of Kings. He sent us the Lord of Lords. He sent us the one who will judge all people on God's day of judgment. There will be a day like what Mary mentions there, a day of scattering of the proud. There will be a final day of the scattering of the proud on that judgment day. And it is only those who trust in Jesus and his mercy who will stand on that judgment day and enter his eternal kingdom. See, with the coming of Jesus, um, you must choose this day whom you will serve. That's what it says. And we hate that. We naturally don't like to hear that kind of thing because we hate being held accountable to the God who made us for how we live every detail of our lives. Christianity is not about me. Mary's not singing about the change that happens inside of her. She sings about what's happened outside of her, about what God has done in history and for, and for the people of Israel. And what happens inside of her Yes, her spirit rejoices in God, her Saviour. It's because of, what, of, what, of what's happened out there in history where God fulfills his promises, where God fulfills 
his purposes for the world in Jesus, in Jesus Christ. So we've seen that Mary and Zechariah praise God that, that with the coming of Jesus, God has come to save his people, to show mercy that we desperately need, to fulfil promises made long ago, and they respond with exuberant praise to God. Well, we have even more reason for exuberant praise, don't we? Because we know the climax of Luke's gospel, of his whole story, that mercy was shown to us sinners um, by Jesus dying for us, that we're going to remember soon in the Lord's Supper, and then on the third day being raised to life. And I wonder if, like Mary and Zechariah, I wonder if your spirit rejoices in God because you know how much you need a saviour. I wonder if, like Mary, um, God's mercy has humbled you as you recognise how much you need that mercy. A need we recognise when we first become a Christian, but a need that we need to continually recognise that we have each and every day. And his mercies indeed are new every day to us. It's our pride and our cold hearts that stop us from seeing that, our need for a saviour. But I think Mary and Zechariah showed they knew they belonged to a people who needed the Son of God to come and mercifully save them from their sins and bring them forgiveness. And I reckon one of the reasons that Luke included these songs of Mary and Zechariah and not just the narrative that we've looked at is to encourage us to do just what they do, to sing out exuberant praise with our lips to God who has saved us. And to encourage us to start and continue a growing pattern in our lives, I'm going to explain it very simply as I finish. There's a very simple pattern. It's a pattern for adults. It's a pattern for children. It's a pattern for us by ourselves. It's a pattern for doing with others. We read a part of Luke's Gospel, or one of the other Gospels, or any part of the Bible for that matter, and then we don't just put the Bible down and move on to the next thing in the day. I'm really task-oriented, and that's my, that's my challenge. <laughs> Got to stop, slow down. Like a lovely meal that has been served up for us, not like a drive through takeaway, we take our time, we chew over what we have read, and we take it in. We take in what Mary says in her song, that when God saves us, he's filled the hungry with good things. We re- and we realise something, that even when it doesn't feel like it, even in shame or deep disappointment, or even in sadness or circumstances that feel plain ordinary, or that may even feel hopeless to us, we realise again that if we know Christ, that he is all we need. That if we have Christ, I have all I need and I can be at peace and content in my inner being when I know that I'm saved. And then we respond to what God has done like Mary and Zechariah did. We can do that in prayer or in song. So we hear the story again of how he moved, God moved towards us to save us. And that moves us to respond to him with joy and praise and in love And in obedience, we respond like Mary did. My soul glorifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my saviour.